We've got people hiring women, but not having a clear protocol for addressing sexual harassment in the workplace. We've got people hiring women, but not learning how to freaking cut it out with all the microaggressions. Hiring women without dismantling the patriarchal systems, it just sets women up with these impossible tasks, giving them positions of power in title, but not in function. Welcome to all God's children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones that break the skin and bones of the body of Christ and the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 2 is brought to you through the generous support of Fellowship Southwest and American Baptist Home Mission Societies. On today's podcast, I am joined by Kendall Ray Rothus, who is a spiritual guide, preacher, poet, author, and feminist theologian who enjoys working alongside people on the margins of church and society. Today we discuss patriarchy, race, traditional gender norms, and the ways they mirror a disordered society. Join us in the Amen Corner as we discuss a North American church that desperately needs to be more body conscious of all its members. But first, won't you pray for us? And do pray with me. God who is conscious of all and yet does not make us traditionally. No set form, no mold, no prepackaged existence for me. No, you created us different, individually made every single one fearfully and wonderfully. Please forgive us for trying to undo your work for recreating ourselves racially and replacing your story with our false binary narratives. Won't you spin a tale and tell us who we really are? because it is so much better since you know us better and we would be better off if we could take this story at face value and take it from you. Please repeat yourself and remind us of who we are in you. Because we crossed our hearts and were supposed to die in those baptismal waters, whether pool, river, or baptistry, we were supposed to go down deep and Jesus was supposed to go down even deeper in us, drowning out the sounds of all that was familiar and whomever we used to be. Make us conscious of that fact and then give us the courage to make it a reality. In the name of Jesus the Christ, who is conscious of what it means to be a human being, we pray. Amen. When I was growing up in the South in the early 1990s, before text messages and Google, during the worship service, persons offered a testimony. It was a weekly update on how God was at work in our lives. We began first giving honor to God, who is the head of my life, to the pastor, visitors, saints, and friends. Well, today I want to testify about how the North American church made me conscious of my body. It was because of Eve. We women could only deceive. That's what we were taught about the Genesis narrative. 
We need not speak because our tongues have caused a world of trouble. Yes, Adam had been redeemed, but somehow Eve had slipped through the cracks of Jesus' saving hands. Jesus had only come to save the man. She still had to pay for her sins, so the church covers her mouth. And look at how she is talked about in scripture. His wife, his mother, his sister, concubine, pillar of salt, the women. She moves about anonymously, invisibly, seen but not heard from. We do not hear her voice in scripture enough, so I have no idea how she felt about her God, save bits and pieces here and there, a line or two here or there. I have to piece together a mother tongue in order to share the gospel. They gave me baby dolls, and I played church with them. I preached to them. May these plastic bodies live Sat them up straight because they should be attentive in chairs and on couches and for this preacher. I had seen a woman preach as a child, so there was no questioning the existence of such. She could not be coupled with fairy godmothers or witches, even if sprinkled with pixie dust. And then my favorite deacon got a hold of me. I told him that I felt called to ministry at 17. I never got the chance to announce it. He told me I should teach Sunday school which I did for a while before leaving. I knew why he said it. I just couldn't believe that he did. He had always praised my gifts and talents when it came to church presentations and youth services, but my body had gotten in the way of anything more than speaking from the floor and there was no getting around that. Was my body sending the wrong message or were they simply not conscious of me as a fully present human being with no interest in what girls should do or had always done? preaching, this calling, came naturally. This body consciousness, the belief that I am somehow less than good because of my body parts, did not. I learned that in church. Our scripture reading is Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, and it reads this way in the New Revised Standard Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back. Fellowship Southwest is a network of churches organized around compassion. FSW is agile, ecumenical, and willing to do whatever it takes to serve people in need. Their network includes all kinds of churches, and they like it that way. At FSW, your church can be itself and your mission can be multiplied. Learn more at fellowshipsouthwest.org. American Baptist Home Mission Societies is your partner in mission and ministry, empowering God's people for today's real-life challenges. Through continuing education that sharpens ministry skills, mission trips that put faith into action, and a virtual platform for ministry professionals to network and learn from one another, American Baptist Home Mission Societies helps you live your faith every day. Visit American Baptist Home Mission Societies at abhms.org to find out more. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast.
Welcome, Kendall, whose new book, Thy Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul, is set to be released this summer. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth. Feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we discuss the church in North America's body consciousness. Thank you for accepting the invitation and for making space to have this conversation around body work. Uh, so the first question that I have for you is this. Uh, the North American church is body conscious, working hard to ensure it, it appears masculine in its leadership and thinning itself by refusing to acknowledge the call of women. Uh, in your estimation, what is the work of those called to dismantle the patriarchy? in order to reflect a more balanced, more diverse member body? Mm. That's such a good question. And um, well, first, I, I just want to say thank you for inviting me onto your part, onto your podcast. I just feel really Absolutely. honored to be here. Um, I, I think the main thing I want to say in answer to your question um, is that it really isn't enough to hire a female pastor or to include more women in leadership positions. You know, I mean, my yeah. friend and colleague, Katie Love Moon, who's a sociologist, recently came out with a book titled Preacher Woman, A Critical Look at Sexism Without Sexists. And mm. she looks at the way patriarchy is embedded in our church systems, even in churches that say they support women in ministry. So, yeah. I mean, what I want to say is there's just so much more to dismantling patriarchy than hiring a woman. Just like there is so much more to dismantling white supremacy than making a, quote, diversity hire, right? Like, there's so much that has yes. to be changed structurally. We've got yeah. to look at how decisions are made, what kind of decisions are made, who they benefit versus who they disadvantage. For example, we've got all these women, I mean, all these churches out there hiring women, but not evaluating or updating their paid family leave policies. We've got ah. people hiring women, but not having a clear protocol for addressing sexual harassment in the workplace. Yes. We've got people hiring women, but not learning how to freaking cut it out with all the microaggressions. Preach, Kendall. So, Preach. Hire, Preach. so hiring, I can get passionate, hiring women <laughs> without dismantling the patriarchal systems, it just sets women up with these impossible tasks, giving them positions of power in title, but not in function. Yeah. You know, so even once they're hired, women are often not empowered to fulfill those positions as their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to say it's, it's, it's more than just recognizing the call of women. That has to trickle down to all the ways that we recognize every woman's voice <laughs> in a congregation. Yeah. Um, and how we change our system so that they don't just privilege uh, certain people over others. So are you saying that we that the body of Christ has more work to do? I'm, yes. Most people are like, we called a woman. Yes. We're, our work here is done. Exactly. Yes and amen. Yep, yep. And that's and what you're I, saying that's not it. That's not enough and that's not it. Yep. And that's what I love about Katie's book is because she takes this really hard look at the work the congregation has to do. Um, to really, to really make that change. Um, 
and and that if you really want to support women, you've got to you got to strip it all the way down to the bones, you know. We talked in. I was talking with uh, Jennifer Butler and Tanika Shepard in, in a, another episode uh, about the problem uh, that women sometimes get in the way mm-hmm. of other women leading. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I want to, to begin with the words of Audre Lorde uh, to set that up. She says that some problems we share as women, some we don't. Mm. Uh, you fear your children will grow up to join the patriarchy and testify against you. Uh, we fear our children will be dragged from a car and shot down in the street. And you will turn your backs on the reasons they are dying. Mm. So, of course, Audre Lorde is speaking about the sociopolitical construct of race and why feminism may not work for African-American women, uh, hence womanist uh, theology. Uh, it's sad, but true. Uh, why do her words remain true today? And in your estimation, uh, what are socially colored white women not conscious of, willfully or otherwise? Yeah, um, I think that's such an important question. And I, I can say as a as a socially colored white woman <laughs> myself, um, I would say that often we, we being other white women, make this mistake of acting like, hey, gals, we're all in this together as women, you know, as if all women are facing the same battles without acknowledging the additional obstacles and layers of oppression that women of color face. Um, and so I just, I've, I've noticed there's this sort of not being seen hmm. that happens for women of color when white women act like patriarchy is the only battle out there. It's kind of like this centering of our own experience um, that we white women do, and it can be really harmful. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. for, for me, I think about the organization I co-direct, Nevertheless, She Preached. And we're always having to take a look at this because it can be so easy to do. So, for example, we've worked really hard from the first year of our inception to to build this platform and fill our platform with diverse voices. But but I remember having this wake up call when a woman of color informed me that the conference itself still felt like a white space. Mm. You know, like, sure, the leadership was diverse, the speakers were diverse, but the worship still felt white. The building itself felt white. There were all these ways that the space itself wasn't fully inclusive. And here I am so used to being immersed in my very white culture all the time that I didn't even recognize it was happening. And so I had I had to listen and be open to learning ways I wasn't seeing my own whiteness. Mm. Um and, you know, that learning can be painful because we don't want to admit that we're not seeing the whole picture. But wallowing in that pain is just another way of centering the white experience. Mm-hmm. Like when my discomfort in realizing my mistakes takes precedence over someone else's feelings of being consistently ostracized, that's a real failure of empathy, I think, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. on the part of feminism. And, um, and I think one of the things for, for white women is we live in this in-between place between power and powerlessness. Yeah. So, you know, in some ways we are afforded privilege due to our whiteness or our perceived whiteness. And in other ways, our power is stripped from us due to gender. Yeah. And it can be this really dangerous place to occupy because I think there's this tendency to try and fix the 
the feeling of powerlessness by exerting power where we can. Um, you know, and honestly, I think this is what this is kind of the same reason men rape and abuse. Like deep down, they feel insecure and unable able to master themselves. So they try power over women as an antidote. And without being conscious of it, white women can engage this similar dynamic, right? Where we feel so stripped of our power around white men that we dominate where we can, thus imitating and perpetuating the rules of patriarchy rather than countering them and replacing them with something better. And we've just, we've got to learn how to undo that shit, you know? Kendo uh, came yeah. to speak truth today. Um so that, I mean, yeah, that's, I clearly, I, I know I'm still blind in some areas, but I certainly think that that's, that's what I want to be conscious of, you know? Yeah. I, 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 the question that keeps coming to mind for me as I continue to undermine the credibility of race is why does whiteness take up so much space? Yeah. That no one else is allowed to exist in any particular space when whiteness shows up. Um, and then in order for people to be seen and to be visible, they clamor for this whiteness um, because we know that white has no country yeah has no culture it has no language there is no place where white people come from other than that it is made in the United States and so for me I always I'm always surprised by what persons will give up language heritage culture uh, tradition last names mm. in order to become white and to belong and in, in a sense lose themselves in whiteness itself um, I was just thinking about that as you were talking. It's just, it takes up a lot of space and it's incredibly exhausting to name and to trace and to pin down. Yeah, uh, yeah. but but I do I do applaud you uh, for naming that, that you know, uh, that you take up power where you can. You use it where you can. When you feel powerless in one situation, uh, you take the power that you can in, in another. Uh, yeah. That's quite a word. That's yeah. quite a word. It takes guts to say. Mm. Well, yeah. I'm Listeners, are you hearing? Are you hearing? <laughs> Just say amen right there. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, the, the next question that I have for you, of course, is around race. The, uh, how has the sociopolitical construct of race um, and traditional gender norms informed the body consciousness of the North American church? And what is the, the- theological work that needs to be done? Mm. I mean, there is so much that could be said about this, <laughs> but I think... I think based on the question where I want to focus our attention is the, or what comes up most strongly for me, I should say, is that the, is the way the construct of race and traditional gender norms has informed our understanding of God's body. Yeah. You know, like far too often we are handed this white male Zeus-like warrior God in the clouds Or if we see a picture of Jesus, he is white and blue eyed and women and people of color do not see their own bodies reflected in the images of God that we have, even though we too were created in in God's image. (laughs) And so that's why I think the theological work of reimagining God as a variety of genders and a variety of colors is so important. Like we need a God who looks like us if the power of the incarnation is ever going to sink in. If humanity, Why is that? Why is that, though? Well, I mean, I has think, to come in our color. I think, you know, I mean, I think it, it well, it's like this. If, if, if we don't have diversity in our mm-hmm. God images, 
then white Jesus is nothing more than an idol that prevents us from knowing the divine. A male God on a throne is nothing more than an idol that distracts us from ever knowing the fullness of the divine. Like Mm -hmm. if, if, if all of humanity, all of humanity is created in the image of God, but then the images we see of God are limited and tiny and small and don't reflect that diversity, then it's idolatry. I think it's idolatry. Just want to hear you unpack it. You know, I, 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 I feel that all of them are idolatry. Mm. That if God has, that we have, instead of uh, embodying what it is, or what, it, what it looks like to be made in the image of God, we made God in the image of race. Yeah. That if God is not skin to me, God is not kin to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. In order for me to trust God, God has to look like me. I thought that no one had ever seen God. Mm. So I try to lean very heavily into the mystery of not knowing. Whiteness is, has, that, that's the only way to respond though. Whiteness says everything is white and so then we have to color it in. Yeah. Um, which is, theologically is problematic for me. Yeah. But I wanted you to name that because that is the experience of most of, most Christians that I talk to. Uh, that if there's a white Jesus, then we will have a black Jesus. If there's a white Jesus, then we'll have a, an indigenous Jesus or an Asian Jesus. And it's like, but Jesus was a Mediterranean Jew. Right. <laughs> so what are we, right. what are we, what are we doing? Exactly. Jesus was from Palestine. Like some of this, we're twisting facts just to attack whiteness, which is not the point of the gospel. Yeah. And I think I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think, I think one of the reasons the diversity of images feels important to me is because um, while God in God's self is like this mystery beyond our comprehension, I believe God comes to us in flesh, right? Like God came in the image of Jesus. And so we need, we need image, I think, as human beings, as they're like handles to hold on to. They're, they're ways to like get to the mystery, right? And so every image is too small. Every image is too limited. But it's but the but the attachment to a particular image, a particular white version of Jesus, a particular male version of God, the attachment to a singular image is like as detrimental as it yeah. gets. You yeah. know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we agree. Yeah. I, 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 I just wanted to hear you flesh that out. Yeah. For me, I feel like I am the word made flesh that is Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 to 28. Yeah. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. So I totally agree that God shows up in the flesh and that we embody particular words and mine just happens to be that. Um, just wanted to hear, I just wanted to pick your brain a bit. Yeah, to- pick, pick away. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me this, uh, the body of Christ in North America is, speak of, speaking of picking, uh, is a piece of work <laughs> to yeah. say the least. Yeah, yeah. It's not the easiest relationship to enter into or to maintain for younger generations, um, millennials and generation mm-hmm. Z. Uh, what advice, would you give them? Because it's hard. It is hard. It's, hard. it's hard to believe. It is hard. And, you know, I, this might not be a popular thing to say, but I suppose I would start by saying that I don't actually believe it is the job of the younger generations or any generation for that matter to enter into a relationship with church or to stay in church. Like, well, I think people who are leaving church are often leaving for good reason. Amen. And their critique and their point of view is valid. And we should listen to those voices and celebrate their wisdom. So 
I suppose my first piece of advice is like, don't should on yourself. Like when it mm. comes to church, there is no should about it, in my opinion. Like the commitment has to be to your own integrity, to your values and to the spirit within. And that may or may not involve a church community and it may at certain seasons of life and it may, you know, I, I just you, think, have, you have an amen corner over here. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt because it's so good. Come on with it. Yeah, Come on I just, with it. Because you're preaching. Yeah, you know, I've, I read all these articles about like why millennials are leaving the church and why it's like, you know, all the fault of the millennial. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think that's the fault of the church, people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so, but the other thing I guess that I would say there is to me, there's a difference though. There's a difference between leaving toxicity behind Hmm. and retreating into isolation yeah so like yeah if leaving the church also leaves you alone leaves you alone with your thoughts and your feelings and your struggles and your experiences of god then i i think you're missing out because we were made for connection for relationship for community and so yeah. i think for me it's like if, if the church doesn't do it for you anymore i really get that and let's not give up on the idea of sacred community, of gathering, of being together, of holy friendship. And, and, and maybe that looks, for some people, that looks like staying a part of the church and, and, and reforming it. And for other people, I think it looks like leaving the church and, and reimagining uh, what beloved community means outside of the church. Um, that's so important. Yeah. To give people permission or just to, to accept the fact that it's okay to leave. Yeah, I think sometimes evangelism uh, can be pretty forceful. Yeah. When I was growing up, it was holiness or hell, and so right, you, you better get saved. Where, where, if you were to die tonight, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah, soul. which it is was very so extreme. Based. It is very so much so, based. very much so. Yeah, it's like if you're not going to church, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still spending time with God. I'm just not going to show up to a building yeah. um, at ten o'clock or nine o'clock or eleven o'clock to to sit down and stand up. And sit down again. Yeah. I think for me as a millennial, um, I just want something more. Yeah. And something more meaningful. Yep. I don't want a Sunday morning relationship with God. Yep. And I have found, this you know, hour with, this like, hour. I'm a spiritual director and with some of my clients I've worked with, I find that sometimes once people counter that fear of leaving, you know, they, they mm-hmm. leave into it, they push past it, that's when they encounter the, the love of God. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's the pushing beyond the fear that gets you to what's real. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, that's so good. The first you have to step outside the doors mm-hmm. of the church. Sometimes you know, following Jesus will get you kicked out the church. Yeah, I mean, it got Jesus killed, so I don't know why my we expect soul, it to be easier. <laughs> my soul, the church is not always a safe space. So I'm praying uh, for all the listeners uh, who are discerning whether or not they should leave, or who've already left. There's space for you. There's room for you. Jesus said where two or three are gathered. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just takes two or three. Don't let these mega churches fool you. <laughs> Jesus did. Amen. You don't, need, you don't need stadium seating. <laughs> you don't need a building if you just show up. If you all gather and you say we're gathering to talk about Jesus, Jesus is in the midst without an invitation, without a Zoom invite. So be encouraged in that. And by the words of uh, Reverend Dr. Kendall. Uh, last question. Last question. I know... Uh, this is really good for me. Uh, this is the, the North American church, um, is it even a work in progress? Mm. And if so, if it is, where do you see improvements? And what do we need to be more conscious of? 
<laughs> is it getting better, kids? <laughs> Tell the truth. Now tell the truth now. Is it getting better? If you if we're telling people, you know, you can leave and then just find a you know a, a safe space that at some point is gonna get better. Is it is it safe for them to come back, if ever? Yeah. Um, okay, so the truth, the my, my honest <laughs> my honest answer to that is I I don't know. Um, yeah. you know, I mean I, I often wonder about that myself. Because there are lots of things that make me think, eh, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Um, but, okay, but, however, I do, let me tell you a couple stories <laughs> that I was thinking Before about. Before you say that, I want you all to realize, I don't know is an, a fantastic theological answer. <laughs> it's one of the best, no, I'm serious, when I was pastor. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. It's incredible, it's a gift. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So, so when I don't know, um, I kind of think about, okay, what, what are some stories that, that maybe keep me grounded. And um, so I, I was thinking, I thought of two small but specific ones. Um, I helped lead this spiritual gathering in Waco called Wellspring, which is like a sacred queer space. Okay. And last week, a woman in her early 40s was telling her coming out story and how difficult it was for to like come to terms with herself being gay after a lifetime of growing up in a church environment that actively, you know, shamed anyone who didn't conform to the norms. And a whole lot of us in that room were like nodding our heads in understanding. But then this 14 year old gender fluid kid in the room spoke up and said they didn't resonate with her story because when he came out to himself, he felt safe coming out to his parents the very next day and felt safe being himself in his church. And I almost wept for joy at the contrast between his story and the coming out story of so many LGBTQ folks I have known, including my own. And like, we have a long ways to go before his story is the norm among religious families, but the fact that his story exists, you know, like that gives me hope. Or I remember in my very first congregation as a pastor, and um, I was the first female pastor at that church. And after Sunday, after church one day on, on a Sunday, this very young girl was up at the microphone after church pretending to preach, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I thought yeah. to myself, Wow! Like, she will never right. know a church home in which women didn't belong in the pulpit. That's right. She'll never be known. She can't right. do this. And that gives That's me right. hope. That's you know? Right. And so, I mean, I think I tend to see improvements in these small human moments. Like those. It's kind of when I look at the big picture that I get rather cynical. Mm -hmm. But when I see individual lives being properly cared for, I think... I mean, maybe we are getting somewhere after all. Um, that being said, I think the thing we need to be most conscious of, if I had to pick one thing, is systems, systems, systems. Yeah. You know, yeah. like good mm -hmm. intentions can only get us so far. In fact, I mean, well-intentioned people can do a whole lot of harm. My um, Lord. So we have to be we have to be willing to look at the whole system and be willing and prepared for like big systemic shifts. We have to be willing to let go of business as usual. We have to be willing to completely reimagine church if that's what it takes. And in my experience, most church going people are still way too tied to the way things have always been <laughs> to yes. embrace that sort of radical transformation that I believe this moment in history is calling us to. 
Um, so Why is that the case? Why is it that we're never stepping on the heels of Jesus? We're always in the back somewhere, you know, catching our breath, hands on our knees. Hold on, I'm coming. <sighs> yeah. Finger what? up. Hold on. Why are we always playing catch up? Like Jesus is halfway down the road. We're never stepping on the heels of Jesus. We're always talking about, wait, I got to take a 15 minute break. And if somebody got some water. I'm tired. I I know we're going forward. I know I see a new thing, but I can only walk so fast. Yeah. Why Why is that? I mean, is it because we're so attached to our comfort or, you know, is that, is that the thing? Is that it, Kendall? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're not going to have them have a church meeting about me. You said we're attached to comfort. You said, what are we carrying? What baggage are we carrying that we can't keep up with Jesus? Now that'll preach. (laughs) Kendall trying to get me put out the church. No, I think that's a good, that's a good, that's a good question to pose. What are we holding on to? Yeah. That keeps us huffing and puffing and out of breath and not mm. able to catch the spirit's breath at all. That mm. mm. we're always playing catch up when it comes to Jesus. We know what he said. Yeah. We know what he did. But yeah. we're still not doing everything we're supposed to do about it. Right. And, but are we conscious of it? And yeah. do we even care? Yeah. Yeah, and like what's yeah, what's getting in the way of that? Our ability yeah. to see that. Mm. That's good, Kendall. That's real good. That's a nice place to land. Play catch up! <laughs> catch up with Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Kendall. Oh, thank you very much. This was, was this was fun. This is a great conversation. I want to thank our guest, Kendall Ray Rothfuss, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus who laid down his body so that we would be conscious of God's unconditional love. This Jesus does not judge your body. And I hope that wherever you are listening, that you are conscious of that. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 2 is brought to you through the generous support of Fellowship Southwest and American Baptist Home Mission Societies. You can support the work and witness of the Raceless Gospel Podcast by giving to Good Faith Media. Please visit our website, goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep doing this bodywork. Head over to Our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Lauren Ng and Don Ng and talk about the North American church's body image. Mm-hmm.